Hello, everyone. Robert Walker here, along with Caleb Pierce, and we are Sheep Things Podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to get down to the basics with industry leaders, associations, breeders, owners, vets, suppliers, and anyone else we can find to hear their stories and firsthand experiences. Hopefully, we will ask the right questions to see what makes them successful, how they got started, and what they see for the future of the sheep industry. We hope to have something new weekly that we can share, so stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates as they are published. Stay tuned as we try to share our learning experience with you all as we dive into the sheep industry together. Okay, guys, we got uh, episode 17, uh, third part of our conversation with Dan Turner of Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, in this episode, we will discuss uh, Dan's project with uh, Maryland University, uh, I think that's right, and um, and then some of his management styles, uh, what he does in a winter, feed, lambs, use, all that good stuff. So stick around and uh, hear our episode with Dan Turner. So... One of the interesting things that you're kind of doing this year, Dan, is working with um, University of Maryland Extension, if, if I have that correct, on a new research project. Uh, maybe, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started with that, what kind of what the goals of the project are, um, and kind of some of the neat things that you're, you're learning from maybe getting prepared for the project as far as like the you know, steps to take to, to get your flock ready for this and all, and maybe kind of share with us some of a little bit about what you're doing with that project. Uh, well, we're new to the project. Uh, we like the idea of it. Mm -hmm. The Maryland, uh, university of Maryland extension, uh, was looking for about somewhere between 80 and a hundred Ram lambs that they wanted to all come from the same farm. They wanted to have as much consistency as possible. Yeah. You know, and as uh, Susan Shanian said, you know, preferably they'd all be from the same sire, the same dam and born on the same day. <laughs> and we'd love 80 of those. Uh, so what we did was, was, you know, we responded to uh, an advertisement that they were looking for, a quantity of ram lambs to have and do a forage. Uh, mm -hmm. Basically, it's a forage slash grain test. Okay. And uh, uh, we were able to uh, make the selection uh, process to where they chose our farm to provide the animals. Uh, and we just delivered probably two or three weeks ago, 79 ram lambs because we, we thought we had 80, but, but only 79 came off the trailer. And then we figured out where the other one got to, but, uh, uh, he, he never got, he just never left our farm. He was, uh, unaccounted for, but, uh, we, we, we just, he's still alive. Everything's fine. He was just not in the right flock. So, yeah. uh, 
what they're going to do is let them get acclimated for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to separate them into two different flocks. One will be just getting uh, forage okay. for the next couple of months. Mm -hmm. And the other group will get the same type of forage, but they'll also get a barley supplement. Okay. Yeah. And the, uh, uh, the study is being... Uh, the, the grant money is from uh, some type of a grain mill or a, uh, an elevator uh, who is providing the money for the study. And so uh, they are, I guess, providing the grain as well. And uh, we've not sold the animals. They're still our animals. We just basically loaned them to the university, which is a little bit... Uh, scary in that <laughs> yeah. you know we're just we're just kind of donating the animals but then they're going to feed them and then at the end of this uh they're going to well before we get to that they're every so many weeks they're going to weigh the animals and they'll do the fecal egg counts and the famacha mm -hmm. and uh and in a general overall you know health assessment and then the goal is at the end of this to be able to determine if there is any difference between uh, the barley supplement on any of those factors. Yeah. At the end, these animals will go to slaughter and there'll be probably at least 30 of them that will have their carcass traits uh, documented. Gotcha. To be able to see the difference between the forage yeah. and the barley. Nice. So, uh, you know, they're going to do a pretty thorough job detailing uh, what, uh, what the differences will be. And they're going to have them for uh, probably three months mm -hmm. for the total test. So let's say that the lambs were you know, average probably a hundred days old whenever I delivered them. So they're going to have a pretty good amount of time. 50% of their life will be at this test. Yeah. And that should be what's the biggest difference. Yeah. So I assume they will buy the lambs from you before they go to slaughter. Well, and, and I don't think the university of Maryland's actually going to buy them, but they're going to work out. They'll, they'll act as a broker uh for it gotcha and if i wanted to i could control it and say hey i want them to go to uh this facility and be slaughtered and i want them to be sold through this channel uh but that would be a lot of work on my part that i'm going to just let them uh, <clears throat> handle, deal with yeah. yeah so what so what do they expect don't we all expect the grain fed lamb to have a better carcass? I think so. And I think that's why the, uh, the elevator <laughs> would put the grant money in there. Yeah. Uh, right. And then it's a, it's going to be a question of, but you know, and so we do all expect that. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, but the, but the point of this is, by how much yeah uh you know is the juice worth the squeeze uh 
what else did we find? Maybe uh, the fecal egg counts drop because of that supplementation. Well, you know, that's, that's a serious consideration. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, how much did the carcass traits change just because you uh, supplemented? Yeah. You know, you know, maybe it's all positives and you would argue with people, you shouldn't just do forage based as, as, as wholesome as it sounds. If you really want a little extra kick on your return, then here, here's proof or at least a, a very, uh, uh, very good reason to uh, supplement. Yeah. And I think theoretically too, I mean, I would expect your Fomacha score to be better, even if your fecal egg count is the same because the parasites, they're going to have more nutrition to replace those red blood cells faster and, um, they'll be able to keep up with the parasite demand a little better. Um, so yeah, it could have an interesting effect on all those, but unless you document it, you never know. It's just guessing. So that's pretty cool. So do you all have parasite issues up there in your area of the country? Um, as far as, you know, with the, the barber pole worm, do you guys see pretty high challenges or is it a little bit more hit, hit or miss on when you have those challenges? Uh, historically, yeah, we've seen pretty good sized challenges. So, uh, last year, whenever we sent, we, we collect our own fecals. I think we started that last year or the year before, uh, the first time we did it, our average was like 2,300, uh, you know, eggs per gram. And realistically, you know, that's, that's way higher than, than what I thought it was going to be. And that was, yeah. that, that to me is an alarming, uh, you know, I need to not let that happen type of thing. Uh, so yeah, worms have definitely been an issue that we've fought for years and that's why we really started to go after the parasite resistant rams and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think it's the right thing to do. I think it's, I think for the industry, it's the right thing to do. Uh, and for ourselves. And, and even if I could just get rid of the worms by using the bioworma and spraying it on my field, it's like, okay, so that's a, that's a fix. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't see it being an industry uh, solution like the genetics is. Yeah. That's an expensive band-aid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what I tell people, you know, chemical dewormers or some other process is a temporary fix. Genetics is permanent. Yeah. And have you guys seen a a pretty substantial, um, positive benefit from incorporating parasite resistant rams into your flock? Have you seen some, some changes over the years? Yeah, I think we've seen that this year already. Uh, now, we just sent our first samples in, but like the the ram lambs that got sent to Maryland, uh, they just got the results back, and the average was only, I think it was 200, 200 to 300, uh, you know, eggs per gram, nice. which is lower. It's, it's under the threshold mm-hmm. of where you want to be submitting 
the highest egg count was 750. Uh, and so you can say, well, there's definitely a difference there. And, and I would agree with that. But if you've got a bunch of them in the three to 400 range, yeah. you know, that's, that's not enough to really show separation you know, or, or resistance there. Yeah. You've got to, you almost, um, have, you almost have to have some crappy sheep just to, to right. have. Right. And, and <laughs> we thought we were going to be able to have a good worm load because we kept them on the same pasture, uh, for the last month before we sent them to Maryland, because I knew they were going to do fecals whenever they got there. And I wanted them to have something, but, but there's a lot of these, lambs were actually out of that virginia ram yeah and, and we know what he did so all right so, so like caleb that. another thing is if we had if we could share slides dan's pasture is like perfect all right so it's not like he's got junk pastures they're they're pretty nice i mean he, he's done really well at becoming a grass farmer yeah that's awesome so do you have multiple species in your pasture? How do you try to set up your pasture? Do you try to set it up consistent with one or multiples and different pastures or how do you, how do you structure your pasture? Yeah, I, I uh, started out with a, uh, with orchard grass and a end mm -hmm. uh, friendly tall fescue and, and then with red clover, white clover and, uh, and and we've sown all our fields with that. Then I've interceded, you know, with some uh, Cerisia lespidiza. Okay. And uh, and I've I've experimented a little bit with some turnips and yeah and peas and stuff like that. Uh, Have you had any success but, uh, drilling those into standing pasture and getting them to actually grow? Uh, I didn't. Okay. But but I think that was because the the year that I really tried it, there was a drought. Oh, okay. And it just <laughs> it just wasn't it just wasn't coming up. Yeah. So, so I, I just, tried a couple I just did that. Things. Yeah, I just did that uh, May thirty first. Uh, today is June what twenty ninth. Um, I drilled cow peas, uh, Sudan grass, um, millet sunflower and radishes and uh, it rained the first like two or three days later we got just a little bit of rain nice and then it didn't rain for three weeks oh and so my of course my sudan grass took off really great i mean it's a it's almost uh probably foot and a half tall uh but the rest of the stuff never came up and now my sudan grass is kind of shading it all out so mm -hmm. my cow peas has kind of popped up a little bit but, but i i don't think none of the rest of it's gonna gonna happen you know yeah and and i i killed my pasture uh i, I overgrazed it uh, all spring trying to get ready for it and then i round up because i'm wanting to put a permanent pasture in those lots after i'm done and um yeah i, I didn't I don't know what having a straight Sudan grass, you know, I might've, I could have got more yield by putting more of that in instead of having a mix, you know? Yeah. But we'll see. I'll have to, my sheep won't ever be able to keep up with it. So 
I'll have to cut it back a time or two and kind of see what, what happens. Now, do you think you'll be bailing that Sudan grass? No, I just did it. Uh, I'm wanting to go. I want my pastures to look like yours. So talking to everybody, uh, they told me the best way to do it would be to uh, round up my field and then do something real heavy, thick growth like a Sudan millet soybean deal um, and then come back in and, and kill it again in the fall and then go in with my permanent pastures because I've got Kentucky 31 and um, mm -hmm. they told me that it would probably take some kind of treatment like that to get a to get rid of it you know yeah uh, well enough to establish something else uh, what end free fescue did you go with you had good I, luck with I used a stancha Okay. And then I, you know, it's something and I, I'm not the best pasture guy ever. I mean, I, I just do a certain amount of research and I'm like, Hey, I think this will do well for me. And right, you know, I've got some people that think I shouldn't use the tall fescue at all. Hmm. Yeah. Well, the nice thing now about I the tall fescue is for winter grazing. Um, so I don't, I, I there's a book called uh, kick the hay habit by Jim Garrish. And anyways, he talks about winter grazing and how you can, how you can do that and stockpiling feed. And it's pretty incredible. The differences that tall fescue, even they found even like 30% tall fescue in a mixture would make a big difference in the quality and the length of time that that feed would last because the way the tall fescues built the carbohydrates are, are different than most of the other grasses. So it holds better in the winter time. And so that, that, that really, you know, tough outer structure that you see in the summertime that the sheep sometimes don't want to eat is exactly what makes it a perfect palatable feed in the winter time. And so if you have some tall fescue in there, yeah, it might not graze as much in the summertime, but in the winter time, it helps make it a really good feed to stockpile and, it, it works as a nice balance because you can trample some of that into in the summer, turn that into organic matter and graze it in the winter. Um, once it's grown back up again and, and it, and it will cover the other grass too. Um, and, and provide to where, like I said, you know, even 30% of the mix being tall fescue will cover some of the other orchard grass and help preserve it because of the way that the, that the, the forest structure develops um, it helps provide a little bit of some frost resistance. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's my goal with my summer annuals is to, uh, eliminate having to graze my fescue all summer. Yeah. You know, I've not fed hay in three years now and, and it's because, <clears throat> excuse me, it's because I have some grazing, some, they have some forage that they can nibble on in the wintertime. And uh, I'm just trying to get more of that. There's, I think there's more value in forage in the wintertime than there is because it don't grow in the summer, you know. So, so I'm eating or I'm letting my sheep eat stuff that don't grow back in the summer. You know, it's kind of like, why, you know. Uh, yeah, tall fescue really has a – the value is in winter feed more than it yeah. is in summer feed because um, if you compare it, you know, trying to graze tall fescue in the summer is not going to, not going to necessarily work quite as well, but in the winter, there's almost no replacement. It's gold. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And I don't know about you, but I mean, as far as condition, I think they hold better condition when they're on pasture, even than when they're on hay in the winter time. Yeah. Um, so Dan, do you, do you stockpile any feed? What does your winter feed system look like? You guys do grass, hay, alfalfa, hay. Um, do you have some other form of hay up and up there? Um, what do you guys do for winter feed? Gotcha. So I will graze, uh, oftentimes I'll have them out on pasture and we, we basically stop the rotational okay. grazing at a certain point and we just let them kind of mob graze the fields. Uh, and just, just let them find whatever they want to wherever, because at that point, uh, you know, it is a lot of the fescues, what they're going to be going after. And they'll, they'll be grazing out there till mid December or, or sometimes a little later. And, uh, then we, during the summer, I've already taken, uh, some hay off twice now. Yeah. So, uh, the, uh, the first bit of hay that they're going to get whenever they're coming in and starting to lamb is going to be uh, the same stuff that they're eating out there in the fields. So I like to take my own hay. I've got my own equipment uh, and I'm, I'm doing round bales and uh, <laughs> this many use a round bale doesn't last very long. So, so it, it, it gets pretty well taken care of. I actually have a tomahawk uh, bale grinder, and so I'll throw a round bale into that, yeah. and I grind it up that way. And it's not into real short pieces, but six to eight inches long, mm -hmm. and they eat a lot more of it than if I just put a round bale out and let them pick at it. Then they are just going to yeah. pull the stems off and drop them, and... Uh, I think the uh, that whenever I sample my hay, which I never thought I would, but get a KH, uh, KHSI seminar years mm -hmm. ago, they told me I should do that. So I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's for somebody that's way above me. Uh, so now I core sample and test my hay. And I think that mm -hmm. I get, like some people are like, well, yeah, you send your sample in okay. and they tell you that it's 10% crude protein. But realistically, what are they eating? They're not eating the trash. They're picking through it and they're eating the good stuff. They're probably getting 14 to 15% protein off of that bad hay. When I grind it, I think that they are actually eating uh, more of all of it, you know, a higher percentage. So at that point with the grinding, I'm, I mm -hmm. know the value that they're eating uh, because they're getting everything together. That makes sense. So, and there's, there's not a lot of waste and then yeah. whatever there is was waste. I just, I just use it as bedding. Uh, and, and then I will buy some hay. Uh, we'll usually run out. I, I can go through, uh, probably 75 ton of hay mm -hmm. in the winter time. And that's, that's a huge amount. We're, we're constantly dealing with hay and, and to an extent I'd love to get away from yeah. it. Uh, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll go to an auction or I know a couple of guys and, you know, I just work the countryside till I get what I want. I test almost every batch that uh, I bring in. So I know what's going on and, uh, 
you know, I'll, I'll feed large squales, squares. Uh, I never feed small squares because I just, I, I would just be feeding too many in a day's time. But yeah, so we are definitely, uh, definitely the forage in the hay uh, is, is a big part of our whole process. And then we do, as we had mentioned, we do the supplementation, but we, we, really, we trust the hay to do most of the, you know, the, the, the baseline. And then we'll add the, the pellets as we need. So do you, do you feed then um, the lambs or do they just eat with the moms and eat the, eat the pellets with the moms until they're weaned or how do you guys do that? No, we, we do creep feed. So yeah, we'll, so when we throw pellets into the moms, it's, it's pretty much a stampede yeah. <laughs> to the feeder. Uh, and we, we haven't yet quite figured out how to use, we are using advantage, the three in one feeders, uh, that were talked about earlier on, on some other podcasts. Yeah. Uh, and we have as well, we haven't figured out how to regulate those well inside the barn okay. out on pasture. I understand how that works, but in the barn, I've got too many ewes that can just camp out and, and eat out of those <laughs> things. Uh, so we, we really have to regulate what we, what we feed the ewes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so we, and if you just feed them in fence line feeders, which I have those as well, it's a stampede to the feeders and the lambs are just getting beat up in that process. They're, getting, and stampede. they're not getting any. Yeah. 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 They're just getting kicked under. So I do a uh, creep feed. I've got several different creep gates that I've made. And really from the time that they're two weeks old, uh, they're being exposed to uh, the creep feed. Mm -hmm. And it, it's basically free choice creep feed. Uh, and a lot of times we'll go up into 18 to 19% crude protein for that. Okay. And they get the same hay that their mother's getting, uh, but they get their own little uh, uh, creep areas that only they can go into and, yeah. and the moms have to stay out. So, so thinking about kind of advice for new producers, um, you, you started a new column in the Catan Herald on oh, yeah. the way you do things. Um, and that, that's really cool. Um, I've learned something from there about scales too, cause I've been trying to, you know, think about what to do for scales as I build my flock, um, you know, start off with a sling scale and, like you experienced, uh, you, you catch sheep and after a while it kind of, yeah, I don't know. You kind of start to want to walk on scale after you start weighing 50, you know, 60, 70 pound lambs. <laughs> like, Hmm, walk on scale might be kind of nice right about now. And, uh, so your, your columns have been really helpful. Um, and I've talked to a lot of people that are new and getting started and they really enjoyed them. Um, what, what are kind of some of your top pieces of advice for new producers so you have somebody, they walk onto the farm um, or they, they give you a call. They're like, hey, I'm looking at buying some sheep. They come out, they buy some sheep. Um, when they're like, well, what should I know? What, what should I do? Um, what, are, what are the top pieces of advice you have for me? Um, what would be your advice for that new producer? The uh, best thing I say probably is, is join KHSI. 
And uh, I, I, I have a lot of respect for the newsletter that is put out. Uh, yeah. So, so join the association and, and if you can get to the expos, you start to do some networking. So a lot of people are like, yeah, well, that's a long-term thing. I want to do something now. So the best thing you can do, and, and as I said earlier, out of the 10 worst things to do, I've done 11, uh, is don't just go buy cheap use because excited about doing this and this guy's got them and he can bring them over this Saturday. Uh, you're going to get them in there. You have no clue uh, where these animals came from, what these animals are carrying. Uh, I brought some in and ended up having serious uh, pink eye and pneumonia issues. Uh, my uh -oh. was naive. And then I introduced what we refer to as the dirty dozen. And it just cost us thousands of dollars in vet bills. Uh, mm. So that's a, that's a big issue. Uh, just knowing that I, I actually went to the expo one year and I was determined that the way to get ahead was I was going to buy the best ram there. And whenever I got there and I started looking at the rams, some had NSIP EBVs, but other ones had pictures of blue ribbons and and you know you could tell that these animals were you know i want that big guy man because that's what's going to make the big lambs and so a, a big part of explaining to someone who wants to get into it you know that 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 doesn't understand everything is you need to talk to the people that are raising the sheep the way you want to raise them and if they're selling them for the same purpose that you want to sell them, then you can uh, learn what it is that you're looking to buy. So yeah. me, I wasn't looking to get into the show arena. So I was, I learned that there's a big difference between, uh, you know, the, the show flocks, and the production flocks. Now there are some that can cross over and that's mm -hmm. okay. But if I'm looking to be just a meat producer, then I wanna see the data that's, that shows me how those animals have performed as meat producers. If I wanna yeah. be selling animals, I may not care about meat production uh, data. I wanna see the the, the results in the show ring. So mm -hmm. you, there's a there's a difference there in in how you're going to pick the animals that are going to start your flock, and also understanding that you know that sire is fifty percent of whatever's going to hit the ground. So yeah. you may want to put a little extra time in that research and a little extra money in making sure that you've got the best chance of success first year. So that's, that's where uh, I found that I was comparing animals. I, I didn't want to show. So NSIP made it easier for me to evaluate 
the animal, the rams that were for sale. And uh, even though I, I went there saying I was going to buy the rest ram in the sale, there was no best ram in the sale because it all depends yeah. on what you were going to use the animal for as to which one was the best. Yeah. Well, I, I totally agree. I look at, uh, there's been a lot of online sales this year and, and it's kind of, you know, all three of us could look at all those sales and all three of us might have a different need for, for our flocks. And there's not a perfect animal in any of those sales that might've worked on all three of our flocks, you know? And, uh, so that, yeah, it's, that's pretty, pretty, pretty big stuff is knowing what you want to do, you know? And, mm -hmm. uh, cause I, that's what I ask people when they come, they'll say, Hey, you got any sheep for sale? What do you want your sheep to do? What are you looking for? I might not have nothing for you, you know, to be honest, you know, tonight in our Tennessee meeting, uh, we're sponsoring a deal where, uh, the youth, uh, we give a, a certificate to, to three youth breeders at our state expo say our show. And, uh, what that is a hundred dollar gift certificate. Basically, if, if she goes to a member of our association and buys a lamb, uh, then, you know, I knock a hundred dollars off and I build the association and they use me as an example, you know, Hey Robert, if, if Susie here wanted to buy a show lamb and, and, you know, come to your place, I'm like, you better give me some notice because my sheep ain't necessarily tame and they might not have seen nobody in the last 30 days. So you better give me a heads up, you know, but we can pick one out that you can feed and groom and make a show animal. But, but I need a heads up, you know, don't just send somebody my way. <laughs> and I, and man, I hats off to these people that go and spend a week at a show and all the grooming and all the prep work it takes. That is a lot of work. Yeah. Golly. Yep. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, I think there's an important reality that there are different markets and there's different ways to raise sheep and there's not a good way and a bad way. There's, there's lots of good ways that people can utilize and it just depends on their system, depends on what they're trying to do, depends on what their goals are. I mean, if somebody wants to have, you know, a thousand ewes that they put out on rangeland out here in the West, chances are they're probably not going to be taking them to a show in July, but that sheep that they're putting out in the rangeland with a thousand others may not be what works best in a, you know, in a, in a flock down in Louisiana that, that's, you know, trying to try, just trying to have a couple or may not work the best for, you know, a flock on the East coast or the Midwest that, you know, wants to put some sheep in a show. And so I think, you know, tailoring the sheep to the system like you said is is really important you know that's something we struggle with uh or i i have a lot of questions and i know some other board members too is we get people all the time saying you need to fine tune the uh the, the um, you know the sheep guideline or whatever the uh breed standard or something. breed standard yeah. yeah man it's so hard to do because um uh, uh, like you said, a, a range you versus a you that lives on a two acre, uh, farm, you know, and, and say Georgia, that's full feed and never gets dirty. Those are two different animals. 
you know? Yeah. And well, uh, I look, I'll even look, you know, within our breed. I mean, for me, the kind of large framed, longer, big sheep, they don't work very well in a grass fed system for me. Oh, no, me neither. I, uh, you know, I like the short stocky ones that, you know, they, they, they look like a little concrete block or you look like me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and you know, those ones, those ones work out pretty well, but if you put that animal on a show, that's not going to do necessarily as well, but up against one of these taller, longer ones that you can feed out and, and really get some good, muscle expression and all that and so yeah I, I think you know there's there is some strength that our breed has though in in all those different types because it allows them to be adaptable to whatever whatever system somebody's wanting to do and i think that's great that we have we still have that diversity in our breed because so many breeds have just become you know cookie cutter yeah they're they're clones without being cloned <laughs> Um, they're just all rubber stamps and, and, and it only works for one type of system and, and that's harmful for a breed. I mean, you can't grow cause you can only reach the people that have that system or I think oftentimes people change their system to meet the sheep. And the nice thing about Katahdin's is the sheep can change to meet the system. And I think that that's a, a powerful thing for, for any breed. So that, that you know some of your advice for new producers you know is obviously starting with with good sheep um what what's some of the the biggest successes that you have seen with sheep or maybe some of the hardest circumstances or both maybe some of the hardest circumstances have led to some of the, the greatest successes how would you replicate those how would you um how would you not replicate those maybe walk us through some of the the big um challenges that, that pop into your mind or the big things it was like yeah that worked out really well that's what i would do again what are some of those things that like just jump into your mind either the nightmares or the, the dreams come true yeah so I, I think the uh the nightmares are much more readily available <laughs> oh yeah uh, you know and and and, and really we, we've already discussed those one was y5 uh the other is the dirty dozen uh and uh uh, then, you know, uh, another is like, well, I learned this from another breeder is that, uh, anything that is said between a husband and wife while sorting sheep doesn't count. So, <laughs> so, uh, you know, you have to leave, uh, that, that, uh, those communications shouldn't be taken personally. Uh, it's not pretty. So there's, there's usually a, a certain amount of anxiety and frustration, uh, and, uh, and I just have to beg for leniency, uh, you know, for some of the times whenever I pull the gate the wrong way, or, uh, I say I will, and I don't, and, and that animal just ran right by me without getting marked or vaccinated. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's a mess. And I, you know, another one of my sayings that's that's very true is I can outdumb a sheep in seconds. Uh, so I just, I mean, and that's what happens is I'm I'm intending to do something, but I I leave an opening, and as soon as you leave an opening, the sheep will exploit your ignorance 
and take advantage of it and make you look stupid in front of your wife and anyone else that's helping you. So that's, that's a, you know, a little tangent there, but, but that's very true is that don't go into a field and leave a gate open because you know, you're going right yeah. back out. You're going to you get fast field. enough. <laughs> you go in the field and you might find a you that's laying down and, and, Next thing you know, you're spending 20 minutes with her uh, to find out that, that something's going on. And when you get this stand up and go out, they've already beat you to the gate, the main flock, and you weren't paying attention. Uh, you know, it's, if you go in, you, you close that gate. You, uh, you don't think that, well, they're not going to see that this one's open over here. They're going to head that way. Uh, they're not going to head that way. They're going to see what you don't want them to see. And you're going to be chasing them down the street and maybe calling your neighbors and asking for help. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you've got to have a system uh, that's, that's going to provide the best chance of containment. And uh, you are a large part in making sure that that happens. And my, my wife just the other day just looked at me and said, I, I really don't want to be chasing after sheep in the middle of the day. And uh, it wasn't me, but somebody else left the gate open or, or at least done. Uh, it was not completely uh, secure. And, and the ewes, whenever we, we were weaning, uh, the ewes evidently pushed and pushed on this gate uh, because they were determined to get to their lambs. And uh, it eventually came open. So that, that kind of thing is really just frustrating and wastes your time. And it could yeah. be the difference between your wife or other family members uh, wanting to participate with you or telling you that, you know what, I'm done with that. I'm not chasing them anymore. You need to get rid of them. Uh, <laughs> and it, it, it can actually get that bad. So... You know, heard that too, huh? <laughs> yeah, 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 recently. So you can only apologize so much to the farmer when your sheep are in his field eating his corn. Uh, <laughs> or in yeah, your you sister's know. front yard eating her flowers. Yeah, yeah, that type of thing. There's there's only so much you can do. They love you know, you, you have experience with that, Robert? <laughs> I do. I, we were at Expo one year, and I don't remember if we were at the Virginia Expo or the one in uh, Indiana. But anyway, uh, those are the only two that Kim has been to that's been away out of, out of Kubel. And, and my kids sent her a text message while I'm in a meeting or something. And it's a picture of 120 ewes in my sister's front yard. <laughs> <laughs> and, and back to the gate, you know, the gate, somehow or another a gate got left open. And, uh, and we're like, Oh, please God, get those out before anybody, you know, while everybody's at work. And, uh, but we got a really cool, it made a really cool picture. And I did share it <laughs> at some point later, you know, and they're like, Oh, that's a great picture. And I'm like, yeah, that's my sister's front yard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I was surprised, you know, one of our previous podcasts with Brad, I was kind of thinking, wow, he still has sheep after they're, you know, raising cut flowers. flowers. Yeah. That'd be yeah. expensive in his world. So yeah. one of the things that, uh, that I found with, uh, rotating a lot is back to the keeping the gate. You know, you, you have to shut the gate behind you in my world now, because 
when they hear that chain rattle, they're coming. Oh yeah. You know, so there, there's no such thing as going in and leaving the gate open while you work on a water or something, because soon they don't, they're not getting fed every day. So, uh, to them, that chain rattle is time to leave. And that gate, uh, that gate latch is the equivalent of a grain bucket. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's better than corn. And, uh, and back to your spouse, I made a video one time. I, I bought this five way sort system deal and I wanted to video it. And, uh, <laughs> so I had Kim with me and I didn't pay any attention until I got back home and I uploaded on video. You can tell by the look on her face that we, it was one of those days when I, I'd asked for too much work or something and, uh, I need to redo it because, uh, she's, she's pretty, uh, grumpy in that video. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's a big part of it. You got to have, you got to have buy-in from them. So you got to do your part to, Absolutely. uh, to make it, to make it convenient for them, you know, or well, at least, at least not painful for them. It's just like a good football coach or a basketball coach. Don't ask your players to do something you wouldn't do. You know, you got to do it. You got to be there too. And, and uh, that, that makes a big difference. Caleb will figure that out one of these days. Yep, yep. <laughs> okay, guys, looks like uh, this is a spot. Uh, we're going to take a break, uh, come back with our next episode, uh, episode 18 with our final conversation with Dan Turner. So stay tuned for that. Thank you. Well, everyone, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far and, and hopefully it's sparking some questions in your mind as you're thinking about your operations and thinking about what you can do to improve. Maybe you're new and, and thinking about questions of, of how you can continue raising your sheep and, and things that you're learning and things you still have questions about. Send us an email. Uh, podcast at sheepthings.com we'll get those emails and uh, we'll we'll be happy to answer your questions and uh, after we get a few questions periodically we'll actually do a podcast uh, with question and answer and we'll answer your questions right on the podcast here so you can listen to our answers and and we're happy to answer any questions that we can and hopefully this podcast is is generating those questions in your mind as you start thinking about it but hopefully it's answering questions too you come to this podcast ready to learn and and uh, I know I'm always learning something new talking with these people people that I've I've known before people that I haven't and you always learn something new and so hopefully we can help answer your questions but we can't answer your questions unless you send them to us so again that's podcast at cheapthings.com podcast at cheapthings.com email us your questions and we'll be happy to answer them uh, coming up here soon Thanks for listening to the Sheep Things Podcast. Stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates. We want your feedback, so you can email us at podcast at sheepthings.com for suggestions or comments. Thank you, and see you later.